Brady Leavitt, like any other Canadian kid, his dream was to play in the National Hockey League. Success came easily to Leopold as he began to turn heads in the junior leagues. Pass for Long, he's got Leopold with him. Long walks in, Sanders, goal! Leopold's a right-hand shot, rotates, and then sends it along back to Leopold. And here we go, right off the bat, a fight ensues, and it's Leavold and Kerr, and they're both getting in shots. Now Leavold throwing right after right, and just connecting like crazy. Once I met heroin, I mean, it was just, that became my new passion. What's the reason that young people who are athletes get addicted to heroin? They injure themselves, and they're more likely to be prescribed an opioid. And once addicted, many are going to switch over to heroin because it's much more cost-effective. And the effects that they produce in the brain are indistinguishable. When we talk about painkillers, we're essentially talking about heroin pills. Welcome back to another edition of Hockey to Heroin, The Road to Recovery. Uh, guys, thanks for being with me once again. This is episode number 18. I cannot believe uh, I'm already 18 episodes deep. Uh, lots going on, guys. Uh, of course, uh, this episode uh, is going to be available Wednesday, uh, just like all my episodes, every Wednesday and Saturday on the Hockey Podcast Network. Guys, you can check them out on Twitter at Hockey Podcast. Podnet uh, or at hockey or the hockey podcast network.com. Um, guys, lots going on. Uh, talk about it all the time. Building the studio, the Matthew Lashinsky studio, it's where I'm sitting now. I'll mention it every single podcast. Matthew Lashinsky, born in 1987, drafted in the second round by the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds in the OHL. Uh, played with them for a couple of seasons, but battled mental health and addiction, much like myself. Uh, he lost his battle with addiction in 2017 uh, I didn't know this guy uh, but when I heard about his story from a friend of mine Matt Thompson I decided to name this studio in his honor along with Matt Thompson uh, he's coming up here May 30th uh, to frame in the new studio we're gonna add on so right now it's uh, 10 by 8 we're gonna make it 22 by 8 like I said on the last podcast uh, there's been a couple of donations, and I appreciate that, guys. Uh, a couple of people had led me in the direction of uh, setting up a GoFundMe page. I did that yesterday, but after thinking about it, guys, I took it down. Um, I do appreciate the donations. We will accept donations if people do want to donate, but again, this is something that... Uh, I'm very proud of and proud to work towards. Uh, so if it takes me an extra year to get it the way that where I need it to be or whatever, then so be it. Uh, but Matthew Thompson's coming up on the 30th of May. We're gonna frame up the new uh, the new studio, put the roof on it, so I'll be able to record it and all that. So that's perfect. We have the money for that. His uh, boss is providing the roofing. The flooring was dropped off by Sean Horswell, which was great. So much support, guys. Thank you. Uh, a friend of mine, Mark Gagnon, uh, who really, guys, was uh, maybe the inspiration for this all indirectly. I've never shared this story, but maybe I'll share it now. So uh, just about in December, I think, uh, you know, I was just 
you know, about a month clean. I just got out of jail again and holy shit, um, I was looking for a way to make a change. So I'm up here in Ontario and I, I, I reached out to the local junior A team. Uh, it was the Huntsville Otters. Uh, I looked up their website and I found their head coach, Mark Gagnon, and I sent him an email. Uh, I said, hey, listen, my name is Brady Liebold. Uh, if you Google my name, you're going to see all sorts of shit. You're going to see my hockey career. You're going to see me going to jail, my addiction, uh, all sorts of things. But here's the deal. Uh, I've had enough of that life. I want to make a change. Uh, I'm willing to volunteer my time uh, in any sort of way for you guys, uh, in whether it's a coaching position. Uh, if you want, don't even want me to meet any of the players, I'll sit in the stands and take stats, hits, face-offs, whatever. Uh, he emailed me back and said, listen, we're in the middle of playoffs, or we're about to start playoffs, so I guess it was January, uh, or end of January, and uh, he's like, yeah, we're a couple weeks out of playoffs, or a month from playoffs, and uh, but I'd love to talk to you when the season's done. So he ended up messaging me back. Uh, things didn't work out with the Otters and him, so they parted ways, but me and him have stayed in contact. So he was really the first one to, uh, in when he sent me that email back, I was like, wow, you know what? Maybe I do have a chance uh, at some redemption. Uh, and that was sort of, you know, shortly after that is when I put my skates on again, was skating on the lake like I've talked about and then started the podcast. So I haven't shared that story. Uh, sometimes, you know, I forget that, uh, or I had forgotten that that was really what took place. But when I've had time to really reflect on it, uh, you know, he was the first one to uh, answer my emails recently, like, uh, you know, a month being in the clean after being out of jail, all that. Uh, and it was just a few weeks after that that I started the podcast. So uh, thanks to Mark. He sent me a hundred bucks for the studio this morning. So thank you to him. Uh, quickly, before we get into this episode, um, Ken Campbell, uh, a phenomenal writer for the Hockey News, um, very well known. Uh, he's written a piece uh, on my podcast uh, a little bit on my story um, and it's going to be available uh, probably by the time this podcast comes out Wednesday morning uh, it may be available or later on this week uh, on the hockeynews.com guys check it out he just sent me a copy of the article a PDF copy I'm not allowed to show anybody except for like my dad and stuff I just read it about 20 minutes ago Um, phenomenal job Ken, thank you for doing that. Uh, great piece. Uh, shed some light on on the situation, uh, not just on my story, but just uh, there's so many guys out there struggling um, with different issues after they're done playing hockey. Uh, and finally, before we get into the episode, I just want to say once again, this episode is proudly brought to you by Team Issued Limited. Team Issued is connecting all walks of life. Team Issued does this by recreating that special feeling of being part of something bigger, a community for all striving towards the same goal guys check it out teamissue.ca this is a WHL alumni Jesse Paradise his clothing company they make hats uh, women's clothes men's clothes it's the most comfortable hats I've ever had in my whole life I'm wearing one right now I got sweatpants on right now too I got a huge order it should have been here a couple days ago but because of COVID-19 bullshit uh, it should be here tomorrow uh, which in that box guys is going to be some stuff for giveaways so go over to hockeytoheroin.com sign up there's a a contest form there uh, to win some free team issued gear Uh, we're going to be doing that this week guys so get 
on there, sign up uh, and use promo code TOEDRAG15 to get 15% off. Uh, that was the promo code we came up with because they used to call me Tommy Toedrag in Kelowna because it was my only move. Uh, other than that, we're going to get right into episode 18. What a pleasure. What a thrill. Uh, what a privilege to have this guy on the podcast. Uh, he's a few years younger than me. I uh, played against him in the Western Hockey League. Uh, he played for the team probably that I hated more than any other team when I was playing with the Kelowna Rockets in the Western Conference of the WHL. He played for the Vancouver Giants. Uh, he actually holds the franchise record for uh, most games played, or he did when he left the team when he was traded uh, to the Portland Winterhawks in his final year there. Uh, but this guy was a phenomenal junior. Uh, he played over 300 games in the Western Hockey League. He had really good numbers. Uh, he was uh, drafted by the Vancouver Giants in 2005 Bantam Draft, 129th overall. Uh, this guy had a, just a great Western Hockey League career. He won a Memorial Cup his first year with the Giants in 2007. Uh, he was named to the WHL First Team All-Star Western Conference in 2010. Uh, like I said, guys, he surpassed Mitch Bartley, a Maple Ridge, BC uh, guy as the all-time leaders for the Vancouver Giants. Uh, Mitch Bartley's was 285, uh, and uh, this guy surpassed that quite handily. Uh, he was drafted uh, by Boston uh, in 2010, 108th overall. Uh, you know, he broke into the league, uh, the NHL, with the Boston Bruins, uh, and you know, was really hitting his stride there. Uh, and he had went through some shit. We're gonna get into it. I can't wait to talk to him after this huge introduction. But from Trail BC. Uh, Craig Cunningham, what a pleasure to have you on, my friend. Thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule to do this. Hey, man, how's it going? Uh, pleasure to be on, and uh, yeah, it's glad to uh, read a lot of stories about you and uh, remember playing against you, and just really happy that you're you know, making some changes and you got things up and going, so it's, it's great to hear. Well, thanks, Connor. I, I appreciate that. You and I don't know each other too well, but uh, what I do know about you is you were a 17-year-old when I was playing uh, with the Kelowna Rockets. I, I guess, uh, you know, I would have played against you as a 19-year-old, but we would have only played each other once. Uh, but I remember watching you, actually. Uh, you only played a couple of games in the Memorial Cup, but... Uh, I was there a lot for the 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 run. Uh, you know, you were actually nicknamed the hamster in Portland uh, once you were traded there uh, for the way that you played. But Connor, you were you were a great player. Uh, a teammate of mine by the name of Kyle St. Dennis uh, from Trail as well always had just the nicest things to say about you. Um, you know, just what a great human being you are. Uh, you know, Connor, you had a pretty successful hockey career. Uh, you know, you. You, you played 68 games in the national or 63 games sorry in the National Hockey League uh, with the Bruins and the Coyotes uh, you were captain uh, for the Giants uh, you captained uh, the Springfield Falcons in the American League you're also the captain of the Tucson Roadrunners in their inaugural season and you were tearing it up bud uh, 14 points in 11 games uh, until you had a life-altering incident that uh, a lot of people are familiar with. And uh, you and I haven't had a chance to talk about this. And I'll be honest, when I heard about this, um, I was in a bad way uh, myself. But, you know, I didn't know you personally, but playing against you, knowing uh, just what a great kid you are, uh, man, 
I just, my heart went out to you. I just, I couldn't fucking believe it. At first, Craig, I, I you know, for people that don't know, uh, if you're listening, sorry, Craig, I'm going to let you talk about it in a second, but uh, Craig was the captain, the two sober roadrunners and you jump in here Craig if I say this wrong um, but you know in 2016 uh, before a game early in the season uh, during the anthem you were starting the game if I'm correct if I'm correct uh, you collapsed on the ice you went into cardiac arrest uh, how old were you when this happened Craig uh, 27 27 years old uh, and you know, there's a documentary called Life or Limb. There's actually a couple of uh, different videos, I think. And, and one of them, uh, Ray Ferraro, an NHL legend who you are very close with because you're like best friends with Landon Ferraro, his son, uh, you know, is part of that video and, you know, narrates it there with you and does the interview. And what a tremendous job uh, they did doing that video. But, you know, I, I watched it uh, with my girlfriend, Taylor, and her mom. And I was like, yo, watch this video. Um, this is who's going to be on the podcast. And by the end of it, the three of us were in tears. Um, you know, it's a really sad story. But if you watch that that video, Craig, you know, I see, you know, and, and Ray talks about it. And like I said, I don't know you. And I, I didn't know what kind of character guide other than just what, from hearing, uh, you know, from other people. But, you know, you see it in that video, just your work ethic. Like you uh, were in the best shape uh, maybe of anybody, <laughs> arguably. And you can say that without sounding arrogant because you put in the work. But isn't it like, so you're in the best shape, a professional athlete, uh, played in the NHL, 27 years old, tip-top shape, healthy, and there you are, you go into cardiac arrest. Um, thank God you survive. Um, you know, watching that video, your mom, I can't imagine just being an emotional wreck, Craig. Uh, you in that interview uh if i remember correctly you don't remember much from that night. i don't want to talk about that here um but unfortunately craig you got an infection due to poor circulation and you had a really hard decision to make uh you had to decide whether uh to you know fight off this infection in your leg and you know your heart the doctor said your heart wasn't strong enough uh or they have to amputate, amputate your leg to save your life and uh you decided to amputate your leg and craig i'm sure you've talked about it a lot uh i can't imagine what that must have been like for you but uh, man i want to first off say um that you are an inspiration uh because i watched the video and just to see you still working i see you get on the ice buddy and i'm like like, yes and I'm like this is fucking great and I don't want to swear on my podcast anymore but that was like an f-bomb that I needed to drop um, because you know I see the smile on your face and I don't think too many people uh, would be able to push past it like you did uh, what do you remember from that night Craig uh, and you know how do you feel about it now yeah um, you know to be honest man I I know, I guess the brain's got a weird way of uh, protecting you from from bad thoughts. I mean, I, I can hardly remember even playing at all in Tucson. Like, it's it's almost like uh, when I got out of the hospital, I couldn't really, I couldn't remember where I lived. I couldn't remember my codes. And, you know, everything up to that year in Tucson, I could remember. But it was kind of like, you know, that month before just kind of got washed away from my brain. And um, so I leading up to the event... I have no idea what happened. Like I, you know, there's highlights of our first game and I had scored the first goal in, in franchise history and stuff like that. And I had no idea any of that stuff had even happened until I, I saw it on video. So, um, yeah, I guess my brain kind of 
it protected me in a weird way and blocked all that uh, all that stuff out, which I'm I'm pretty glad for today. Yeah, it's uh, I can, I can't imagine like watching watching that take place after the fact in that video. It was you know it's scary to watch. Um, your mom was in the stands that night. Uh, I know they canceled the game uh, so that your teammates could be by your side. Uh, that's that is maybe a good thing that you don't remember much of it all. Um, but you know there was times I know that uh, they didn't think that you were gonna make it and. You know, I, I often wondered uh, over the last 48 hours leading up to this interview, I was thinking like, I wonder if it's, you know, how much of it because you had such a work ethic and you were in such good shape, uh, were you able to uh, make it through? Yes, you went into cardiac arrest, but I watched in the interview and you said it. There have been so many guys, you would know more about it than me, but it, it happens, eh? Yeah, it's, it, here's the one thing that, that baffles me about this whole thing. And, you know, I was, I was, uh, you know, everyone, I was guilty for it too. It's just like, you know, oh, it's not going to happen to me. You know, like I, I saw, you know, it happened to Yuri Fisher. I saw it happen to Rich Peverly, uh, Brett McLean. Um, and those were just the guys that, that survived. And, you know, everyone always says, oh, it's not going to happen to me. It's not going to happen to me until it does happen to you. You know, and I think there's this big you know, I don't know if the right word is stigma out there about, you know, everyone's, I was, oh, I'm healthy, oh, I'm in great shape. Or, you know, you see people doing Ironmans or the, you know, the most athletic people in the world running marathons that are collapsing and dying from, from cardiac arrest. And um, I, I think that there's, there's just a weird, I, you know, I keep saying the word stigma around it. And, and people don't really understand. And, you know, that's why it's so important to go to the doctor and to get checked, to get your yearly physicals, because, you know, we don't know what's going on inside of our bodies. I mean, I was playing at the, you know, the second best league in the world. I had just gone through an NHL training camp. I had just gone through, you know, the testing and all that stuff and everything was good. And then all of a sudden, you know, two months later, I'm on my deathbed with, you know, everyone's wondering, well, what the heck happened? So um, it, it, to me, it's just, you know, take care of yourself. Go get your yearly physicals, get your echocardiograms, no matter what kind of shape you're in, no matter what kind of family history you have, because, I mean, I think I'm living proof that you, you never really know what's going on underneath. Yeah, for sure, Craig. And, you know, I have a lot of questions about the whole situation. And, uh, you know, if you don't want to answer any of them, and, you know, if I can kind of tell by the way you are that, you know, you're probably pretty candid and open. And I feel like you've uh, kind of accepted uh, where you're at with it because, and, you know, you're making the best of your life. And I can just hear it in your voice. You sound like you sound like you're you're good. Uh, and I'm just really happy to hear that. I, mu I know there must be struggles. Um, but what do you remember, like, or sorry how long after so you went into cardiac arrest um you were unconscious for how long um and how long after did they amputate your leg okay so i i, I don't know if i have the timeline uh, exactly i i think i was in a coma for close to 10 days um uh, give or take you know a couple days each way and then you know, when you come out of the coma, man, I'm telling you, like, it is, like, the weirdest thing, man. Like, it was, like, I was having, I have the weirdest memories, like, from, like, there's some things I can remember, like, dreams that I had when I was in the coma that are just, like, they're so weird. And I just, <laughs> things I can't talk about openly on the podcast, but it was, just, it was super weird. And, um, you know, by the time I had come to, you know, I think I had been awake for 
you know, at least a week or so before my mom and, you know, I started to recognize people and I was talking in full sentences and, you know, they, they, the biggest worry after, you know, I had survived and they're taking me off the breathing tube was the brain damage because, you know, I'd gone, I think it was, I had 96 minutes of CPR and, um, you know, they had to put my body on ice and all this crazy stuff that, you know, if I did survive, they weren't sure what my brain function would be. So, um, you know, when I woke up and, uh, I obviously don't remember any of these, but my mom's got some hilarious, you know, we can laugh about them now, but at the time we're, we're super scary of, you know, getting the brain back and I couldn't remember anything. And it was, it was unbelievable. I would ask my mom the same question, you know, 10, 15 times in a day and, my brother's the same and I'm lucky that they were so patient with me and understanding because it's, you know, and, and, you know, you don't remember that because you're in such a weird state, you know, you've been in a coma, you're on a ton of pain meds and, you know, you're just not yourself. Your brain's just not functioning the way it does. And, um, you know, it's great that we can all sit around and and have a few beers and and laugh about some of the stories now. But, um, at the time I'm, I'm sure, you know, my mom and my brothers were, were scared shitless and, you know, lucky enough for me, it was just, you know, I was in the coma and, and I was on medication and um, it, it, I didn't quite, you know, I didn't bear the wrath that they did. You know, my mom slept at that hospital for 10 days straight. She didn't leave the hospital to be by my side. And um, that was when I was still in the coma and they didn't know what was going to happen. So, um, you know, it's uh, it's all about family and support. And it's so cool now that we can sit around and laugh about some of the stories and um, you know, I'm not one of those guys that gets too embarrassed. So, um, there's some, some pretty good one-liners I was tossing out that, uh, that, uh, again, I can't quite repeat on this podcast, but that we can all laugh about today. Well, that's good. Uh, that's great. I mean, I know you have a, a very uh, tight family unit with your mom and your brothers. Uh, I know you guys all went through a very unfortunate uh, a time when you were a child. I know you're um, sorry that your father passed away to a car accident, if I'm correct. And I, I know that your mom must have been and has been your rock. Uh, all of your guys is a rock. Uh, to, to put you guys through hockey by yourself must, is nothing short of a, a miracle in itself, right? And um, uh, I can just see uh, the love that you guys have for each other so it's just great you know um, to see those things and I'm just so happy Craig that you made it out out of it because I remember hearing that you were in a coma um, so you said you were in the coma for 10 days um, you got an infection in your leg because of this circulation it just sort of something that, that can happen with these things uh, obviously it was a, a bad infection but uh, how long after you came out of the coma did that take place uh, how long after did they uh, amputate your leg what do you remember about that and, and how, how were you feeling about that at that time yeah so um by, by this time you know i had come to and, and i was you know my short-term memory wasn't quite there i would forget things but i knew what was happening i knew the severity of the situation i'd had enough conversations with people and um i i knew what was going on and so basically i developed an infection in my leg um, from the echo, uh, echo uh, sorry, ECMO machine that they use to to save my life. Basically, it's uh, without knowing uh, the doctor terms. Basically, it's an artificial heart and lungs that uh, does the gas exchange inside your body, so that you know gives my lungs and my heart a rest and you know, allows them to refunction. So the way it goes, they put it. It was in my femoral artery, so basically all the blood flow only goes to your vital organs. You know, so I didn't get any blood flow below my knee for 24, 48, 72 hours, and I developed compartment syndrome and. 
so you keep going down to the ER and they're washing out. And anyway, so it turned into an infection. I think I had a, you know, 103, 104 fever for about a week. And um, I never even thought about that my leg was going to have to get amputated. I always just thought like, okay, yeah, this is going to get healed. And it's, you know, we're, we're dealing with it and I'll be fine. I'll, you know, it's just going to take time. And um, it was, it was crazy that they had never, you know, mentioned amputation, I think, because they didn't want to scare me. And, all of a sudden, one night, I, uh, you know, I specifically remember this night. I, my brother was going to school in Halifax, Nova Scotia, and he was flew in to, to visit me. So, flew into Phoenix and had to take the the bus or the van down to Tucson. So I was waiting up late, and um, they came to my room and took me down for an MRI at like 10:30 at night um, before he had even got there. Uh, as I was getting wheeled down, I, I knew something was wrong. I'm like, you know, this is. You know, I've had a lot of MRIs since I've been in here, but nothing at 10.30 at night. Like, this is obviously something's wrong. And uh, I think they want to protect the patient. Um, you know, it's the nurses and stuff that are bringing you down, and they're, I, I guess, not necessarily allowed to tell you what's going on or diagnose you, obviously. So, you know, I remember that was definitely the hardest day. I, I remember laying in that MRI machine, and, um, you know, I was sobbing. I, I, I was crying, and uh, it, it was hard. I, I just, it was the first time I had really broken down a little bit um you know you have people around you so much and uh throughout the day and you know by the time you, you know you fall asleep and then they leave so you're never alone and you know this time i was alone and i, I really felt alone in this machine and again I, I knew something was wrong and i got out of that mri machine and i just i, I knew I, I knew that there was something wrong with the leg and i i would find out in the morning but you know, sure enough, my brother came that night. He, you know, had gotten out of the MRI and he was waiting in my room for me when I got back. So, um, I, I can't imagine if he wasn't there what that kind of night would have been like for me. But, um, he was there and we were able to talk through. And, uh, sure enough, I go to sleep and wake up the next day. And my, the doctor that saved my life, um, my cardiac doctor, Dr. Calpi, who I am like, you know, best friends with to this day almost, uh, he came into my room the next day and kind of explained the situation and, and what was happening. And, um, he didn't necessarily say, Hey, we have to amputate the leg, but, um, he described it to me and basically like, Hey, if we don't amputate, there's a chance that the infection is going to get in your bloodstream and there's a good chance you can die. Um, and you know, for me, it was just, it was, it was an over, like I didn't even think twice about it. I said, well, either I die, I'm putting myself in a position where I, there's a good chance I'm going to die or I get my leg amputated and I figure life out after that. And, you know, he did his due diligence and called my mom and family and they were all there. And, uh, that was the hardest day, man. I, I think I was supposed to get the surgery at like 11 or something in the morning, you know, so they cut you off from food the night before and they kept having emergency surgeries coming in. So my surgery kept getting pushed back and pushed back and pushed back. And so I'm just sitting in that room all day, me and my mom, uh, and my, and my brothers at the time, and we're just, no one's really talking, and it, it was hard, man, and, and I was so hungry, and I was so irritable that I couldn't imagine, you know, being around me, but, you know, they were positive, and, I, you know, my mom, I remember the, the nurse finally coming to get me and wheeling me out of my room, and I'm just looking back at my mom, and she is full-on breaking down in tears, and, you know, I could see it in my brother's faces, just the hurt that they are feeling, and I just, that to myself like well this is you know i gotta be the rock here finally you know they've been the rock for me throughout this whole time and, you know so i just put a smile on my face and said you know it's gonna be fine you know we're gonna figure it out and don't worry about it so um down i went into surgery and 
came out and uh, <laughs> Merry Christmas, Christmas Day, and uh, all of a sudden I, I get uh, <laughs> I get an agitation for Christmas. So it was uh, it was a day that I'll never forget, and um, a day that I didn't necessarily like talking about. You know, two years ago, but uh, I'm comfortable sharing that story now. Well, Craig, I, I listen, man. I appreciate you uh, sharing that story. Uh, it's incredible, uh, man. I was sitting here listening, trying to just, you know, picture myself in in your position, picture myself in your brother's position, picture myself in uh, as a parent, right? And, um, I mean, they're all just so difficult. It's just, it's, man. And, you know, I love to, to hear that, you know, you realize, you put a smile on your face. I don't even know you that well, but just from seeing you on the ice before, hearing about you, seeing the videos and stuff, I could just picture you doing that, you know, um, as much as maybe you didn't want to and as hard as it was, but, um, you know, you it was were... a fake smile, you know? It was a fake smile. I was scared as hell, man, to be honest. I was so scared. But, I, you know, I thought, oh, I better flash a smile here and tell them it's going to be okay just to put their thoughts at ease. And, um, you know, they had we've been worrying for so long that um, I had to, you know, the old fake, uh, hey, it's going to be fine sort of thing. And uh, But in my heart, I was scared as hell, man. I, was, I can't even describe how scared I was. Well, for sure. And when you were like, when they first told you, you know, like, and, you know, you said you didn't really hesitate uh, when the doctor was explaining to you. And uh, to me, like to me, that I don't know, that would be such a hard decision, right? How was, were you contemplating the fact that like, how soon in that moment were you like, hey, I'm not going to be able to play pro hockey anymore? Well, you know, you know what, man, like, Look, like I, I lived and breathed hockey my whole life. Like it was, it was my ticket out of town. It was, it was what I wanted to do. I loved it. I spent every single minute of every day doing it. And um, I, you know, and I, I, I was lucky enough that that I made it. I had a cup of coffee in the NHL, and I played in the American League. And and I, you know, there's not too many guys that can say that they had done that. And I, I was proud that I had done it. And I, I think I understood the severity of the situation. Um, I knew, you know, those other guys that had had cardiac arrests weren't able to play anymore either. And I, I deep down knew there's a good chance I wasn't going to play anymore anyways. Um, and, um, I mean, to be honest with you, like, it's just, hey, man, like, the chances are you living um, and and the leg. So the chances of me living through this infection were not very good. And the chances of me living plus the leg actually coming back to function were even worse. So in the end, it was kind of, it was a no brainer for me. It's just like, well, you know, if I do, that is a good, there's a chance that I might die. Okay. And also if I do, there's a good chance that my leg will never come back to function anyway. So it's like, yeah, I was weighing the pros and cons and it just didn't add up. And I just thought to myself like, yeah, like this is obviously, you know, the correct decision and this is the right move. Oh, for sure. And uh, definitely, I think you made the right one. I think most people would have, no matter how uh, difficult it may have been, right, Craig? But, uh, you know, like you said, you you did play in the NHL. That's a huge accomplishment. Uh, you had a really good American League career. Uh, you know, unfortunately, you were only 27 and probably just hitting your stride. Um, but at the same time, Craig, uh, you know, 
things happen for reasons and I believe this um, you know I listened to you a few minutes ago say that maybe a couple years ago you couldn't have uh, talked about it as easily um, I can relate to that in a sense um, not in the sense where you know the same situation but I was I've done a lot of things that I'm not proud of where I've been embarrassed or whatever where I couldn't even talk talk about that right and uh, for me to be able to come on and talk about it. so I can relate to that but uh, in that sense but you know I watched you uh, on the video Craig when you put skates on for the first time and uh, I think you know you said in the video that you really anticipated it going a lot you know better the first time um, but I know that you know a couple the next time or by the couple times after um, you know you were actually skating pretty good do you get on the ice still um, you know, obviously COVID-19, but, or is it too painful or what's your, what are you doing? Do you get on the ice at all? Yeah. Um, so here's the thing, man. Uh, I've been scouting, um, you know, it's basically the next season right after I got hurt. And, um, so I was on the road, you know, 20 plus days a month scouting and stuff. So I, I didn't have a ton of time to get on the ice. And, um, you know, unfortunately since the original amputation there, I've had to have, I've had five or six surgeries since revisions where they've had to go back in and fix things. So it's been a lot of up, down, up, down, up, down. Um, so I'm finally at a point now where I'm stable, you know, where I'm able to run a few miles a day. I'm able to play golf. I'm able to wear my leg a lot more throughout the day. So as I'm getting more comfortable, um, and so I, I kind of got to a point where it's like, okay, push, push, push on it. But then the rest of the day, you know, it was sore. I couldn't be on it. So then you got to start being like, well, is it worth it to be doing this and that? And to me, it was. I said, you know what? I, I'd rather work out and skate or play golf and then I'd take it off throughout the day. So basically to answer a question you know, in a long way, I just had surgery again uh, two months ago uh, to fix the last issue. So uh, I should be... <clears throat> up and going here again shortly and I believe now that I will be able to get back on the ice regularly and you know I've started working out again and golfing and I'm in the the most comfort I've been in since I got hurt so um, I was able to get on the ice before and you know now I'm about 25-30% better so I can only imagine and and hoping that uh, it goes a lot smoother for me this time around and a little less pain. That's awesome, Craig. I'm so happy to hear that. I, I know you uh, were scouting uh, uh, there a little bit. I know you want to continue scouting. Have you ever thought about coaching at all? Yeah, I mean, I, I think um, just the way that I am as a person and the cultures, you know, that I played in and, and saw that I, I always thought, you know, I would get into coaching when my career was over. And I still do have a passion and and thought that maybe coaching is something that I will get into but until I'm you know until I go an entire year without having to have surgery or setback like you know when I decide like okay I want to coach like you know the only thing that's gonna set me back or hold me back is my my maybe my my coaching my practices my planning you know it's not going to be my physical ability so if I decide to coach and uh, you know I want to be all in all hands on deck and, and not kind of be wondering like oh shit my legs are all sore today I don't know if I can stand up on the bench all day so I, I, I haven't closed that door um, but again I'm still 
I'm still fighting the fight daily. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. Uh, we talked briefly before we started recording this. I know you're living in Arizona. Um, it's beautiful down there, I'm sure. Uh, they retired your number in Tucson, number 14. Uh, that must have been nice. Uh, what was that experience like going back after all that? It must have been emotional. Yeah, I mean, I had been in the rink uh, a few times before. Like, I remember my first time back in the rink was, was tough, you know, because it's it's where it all happened, you know. Like, I had a little bit of an eerie feeling, but I, I knew, like, hey, man, you got to get over this, you know. Like, if you, you want to be in hockey, you know, you, you better get used to going back in the rink. So um, I had gone and been in the rink a few times and had kind of gotten over that fear. And uh, it, it was special night. Um, it was... I mean, obviously a huge honor to have your number retired and, and put in the Raptors, but I, I think the, the most special part about it was being able to spend time with my mom and my brothers and, and my close friends from home and, and, you know, my best buddies, parents came down and, and just being able to spend all that time together and the memories and the weekends, like, you know, the Jersey retirement was great and a, a huge honor and, and cool to be out there on the ice in front of all those fans, but... I think the best part of it all was, again, having the family all together and us all staying in the same hotel and, and having dinner and hanging out and, and talking about old stories and um, just, just the support and, and the relationships that have gotten me to where I was, um, you know, the same people still supporting you, you know, when you're down and, and trying to get back up, so. Well, that's great, and I know that you, you know, you like you said, you turned to scouting there uh, basically right after you were uh, able to get on your feet. Uh, what's the big difference did you find uh, from the scouting maybe or the personnel side uh, from the player side? Like, What was the biggest surprise for you that maybe, maybe something you didn't know that really caught you off guard or uh, maybe there's something you thought was harder that, that yeah, you know what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. Um, so my first two years, I did strictly pro scouting, um, and it was look, man. Like I, I, I never went to college. You know, I never took any courses online. So like, you know, scouting is, you know, only only yeah, probably a quarter of the job is going to the game and watching players and formulating opinions. Uh, that's a quarter of the job. You know, the other quarter is traveling. Uh, would be the second quarter. Third quarter is booking the schedule, trying to make sure that, you know, the schedule makes sense. You're seeing the players and the teams the same amount of times that you need to see them. And the fourth thing was is, you know, this is where I had a hard time was like, okay, you know, you're evaluating, you know, especially on the pro side, these NHL guys. And, you know, I think you kind of give some guys a break in, in some ways because, you know, you know that you were in that position where you're only playing seven, eight minutes a night and, Maybe you think there's more there, there's not there. Or I, I found it hard to be really hard on established NHL players that had maybe, you know, either were starting to slow down a little bit. You know, I, I found it hard writing negative things about them at, at first. Um, I think that was probably the hardest part. You know, you're you're watching NHL guys, and the guy's been in the league 10, 12 years, and, um, you know, maybe he's deteriorating a little bit, he's getting older, he's slowing down, and, and, and now you got to kind of write negative things about them which, which I thought was, was quite hard I can only imagine especially when they're older than you or uh, you know, like you said established guys um, but like like you said it's part of the job and I'm sure you found your way around that and, and you, you learn the ins and outs of it it must have been fun um, was the traveling was the travel schedule grueling 
Oh man, the trap schedule. You know, well, at, at the start it was because you know I, I wasn't walking full time. You know, my first year on the job, um, it, it, so I was on a scooter, and you know I was I was living in Phoenix, and I was you know covering uh, you know Tampa Bay, Florida, Carolina. Um, you know, so you're traveling a lot, and I was traveling on an e scooter for a, basically my whole first year. So. You know, getting to games and, you know, taking an Uber to the game and then scootering around the building and trying to find, you know, the media entrance and then getting to the meal and then, you know, trying to find the elevator and getting up there. So my first year was just all like trying to figure everything out, trying to make everything, you know, a little easier. And then, you know, I, I've always been big into fitness and stuff. So, you know, you're working out in a hotel gym. So I don't have, you know, an assault bike or cardio machines that I was able to use before I started walking to, you know, to stay in shape. So, I had to find creative ways to use hotel gyms and, and meals, you know, like it's really hard to, to eat on the road. And so you got to try and figure out, you know, I think my first year after I'd finished scouting, I, I, I think, man, to, to be honest, and <laughs> I, I think I put on like 15 or, or 17 pounds because <laughs> it was like, you know, your first year out of the game and you're just, you're, you know, they call it the never hungry league for a reason, man. Even as a scouter in the media, you know, there's meals left, right, and center. So, um, I, I do remember one day I, I took the shirt off and, and, and had a little look at myself in the mirror in the bathroom and thought, oh boy, I, I better start making some changes here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Uh, I know. Hey, trust me. I know those ones. I'm like 25 pounds over rate, weight right now. So trust me, you're probably still looking a hell of a lot better than I am. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, that, that was three years ago. So I, I since made some uh, mostly diet changes that uh, have been able to keep me afloat here for the time being. <laughs> well, there you go. Uh, you were also uh, nominated for the Four Broncos Memorial Trophy uh, as the WHL Player of the Year. Uh, you lost out. Uh, you were the W or the Western Conference uh, nominee. Uh, the Eastern Conference nominee uh, was Jordan Eberle, and he won. I mean, he was a fab. He was a fantastic junior. I remember playing against him uh, in Regina. But that was, uh, I believe, the year after I was out of the league. Um, you had, I think, 97 points or something like that. That's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, uh, I think I lost out to the better player. I mean, you see, uh, you see where, where Ed's done and what he's been able to do in the league and then what I was able to do. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, everything came together for me in Vancouver, man. It was just... Uh, I grew up in the culture and, and, you know, they believed in me and I could, and I could feel that they believed in me and they, they wanted me to get better. And they gave me every resource I need. They guided me along. And, um, you know, I was playing at the time with Brendan Gallagher, who's a tremendous NHL player today. And my other winger was Lance Boma, who played a long time in the NHL, 20 goal season. So, um, I was surrounded by really good players and just my, my confidence just, just rose. I mean, the coach just gave me so much more rope than I had ever had before, and I was surrounded by these great linemen. Just like everything came together for me that year. Yeah, you were, uh, you played for Don Hay. Uh, we used to call him Hazer. He didn't really like me too much. Um, but man, we, we used to hate playing you guys, uh, especially like Garrett Hunt uh, was, uh, was a was it just a shithead on the ice too just much like myself me and him used to battle but uh no the vancouver culture like you said um they did such a terrific job uh and continued 
Sorry, I have to let my dog out of the studio quickly. My puppy sometimes sits in here uh, while I'm recording. But, um, you know, they do such a terrific job. Uh, you know, I missed, uh, you know, I missed that they're not playing in the Coliseum anymore. Did you play in the Langley Event Center at all, or was that after you were gone? Yeah, I played there a little bit um, at the end. So, like, they were starting to transition um, into Langley. Um, it was so, it, it's changed a lot uh, since I was there. Um, but, man, was is that a tremendous organization. I mean, right from, you know, the owners down down the rope. I mean, they do a, they do a very, very good job there. And, you know, I, I've told a lot of people this, and, um, I think you're a product of your environment. Um, you come to somewhere at the tender age of 15, 16, 17, and, you know, you're still a boy, and, and you, you've got to learn, you know, how to be a man, not only be a player, but be, be a man and, and grow into a to a human. And um, I think Vancouver at the time, and, and they still do a tremendous job, and, and not only on ice and, and, and uh, creating good hockey players, but they create good people, and I think that that's uh, just as just as important as you know being a factory for the nhl is just you know having people come out of their program and move on to different business ventures or become teachers and 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 uh contribute to society in other ways well it's interesting you you bring that up because it's something that i've been uh thinking about a lot too and um you know i you know i don't know if you've uh, been following it at all but actually the other day the chl uh, settled the lawsuit for the minimum wage and some guys don't like to talk about this because uh and you know i don't i want to work in junior hockey eventually too and i don't like to to bring this up because i never want to battle against the owners or anything like that but i also have no problem speaking my mind um and uh you know they want a settlement for 30 million dollars uh but at the end of the day there's not going to be a whole lot of changes um but you know the way i see it craig is like maybe just don't pay them at all and just let guys go get full ride scholarships after they're done playing in the in the whl if you really want the best junior league in the world uh then that's what you do um because then you're going to get all the best guys going to the to the one league i'm not really even sure why they even pay pay us uh, in the chl when it's really peanuts uh it's really uh it's really it's really quite sad but at the end of the day they're paying for our billets our equipment and we all want to play there we all want to be there and if you don't like it there's a million other kids that'll take your spot so uh it's kind of one of those catch 22 things um but what are your thoughts on the lawsuit and what are your thoughts on the lawsuit on the concussions do you know about that yeah okay so so i i I will rather not comment on either of the lawsuits i will say that though like i if i would have made it to the nhl or not made it to the nhl I had a terrific experience in junior. I think the way that you get treated, the way you get billeted, um, every single meal is paid for, every hotel room you're in. I So I, I had a terrific experience. I, I gained a lot out of there. And if I would have never made it and never signed a contract and gone and played CIS hockey and, and gotten a scholarship, I believe personally for me that that's enough. Um, the game gave me a full ride scholarship and I can do what I want with it now. So, um, I would rather not, uh, <laughs> give my opinion on anything other than, uh, my experience in the Western hockey league was tremendous. And, um, I, I have no, nothing negative to say at all about it. 
Yeah, I hey, I I totally uh, respect and appreciate that, and I feel much the same. Uh, the Western Hockey League, the CHL as a whole, um, is the best junior hockey league in the world uh, for a reason, and they treat you. It is a mini NHL, and you're treated that way. And uh, just like you said, I had a just a fabulous experience uh, playing in the Western Hockey League. Um, you know. From the hockey basis, yes, I went through some shit, mental health, whatever, but that was my own personal um, dealings. But on a strictly, the way I was dealt with uh, in the hockey world, uh, it was just fantastic. I mean, even in Swift Current, being the smallest market team, a community-owned team, um, not a whole lot of money, um, they do a just a great job. You couldn't do a better job with uh, with the resources they have. Uh, I had a good, I had a chance to play in Kelowna. Um, just, just like Vancouver, unbelievable. Uh, just to have more resources, much like Vancouver, and uh, you know, so I can appreciate that you don't want to comment on it because, again, uh, the concussion one. I'll say it. Um, you know, I did register. I said I put my name on the lawsuit, uh, but not to be on the lawsuit. I just signed up to get more information because I just wanted to see what it was all about. Uh, it's actually a former teammate of mine that's going through with it, James McEwen. He's been on the podcast. Um, since then, I've kind of bounced back and forth. Um, I've had a lot of concussions, but at the same time, uh, I knew the risks that I was taking. Uh, I used to enjoy fighting. I used to think it was funny that I would play through concussions. Uh, I used to drink it when I had a concussion. So so uh, I can't really say anything about it, you know. Uh, if I was to do all the right things and to take care of myself and all these things, then maybe I would look at it differently. But I didn't, so I can't really say anything, you know. Um, it's just I was just curious as to your thoughts on it, uh, Craig. But um, yeah, no, I, yeah, I, I got nothing really for you on the concussions other than you know I was lucky enough. Uh, throughout my career and you know as hard as I played sometimes I, I was lucky enough to never get a concussion so I again I uh, I feel bad for guys that get concussions I feel horrible for people that are dealing with post-concussion syndrome um, I just I, I don't know enough about the lawsuit or anything of course like yeah absolutely buddy and uh, we'll leave it at that uh what is it what do you think you miss most about playing because listen i talk about it lots on the podcast uh it doesn't matter uh who you are or when the time comes if you're a hockey player eventually the time comes when you got to hang them up and uh you know that time comes for everybody whether it's a recreational level eventually you're too old at 80 or whatever the case may be but let's strictly talk about professional let's say 35 is maybe 35 most guys don't play till they're 35 i mean shit i had to retire at 24 um but you know it's very hard for a lot of guys to transition out of hockey um I know that you went into scouting, uh, so you were still involved in hockey, but have you found it hard, um, you know, transitioning out of it, like not being around the guys and that kind of shit? Oh, 100%, man. I think there's, there's three things that I miss the most. Uh, number one is by far, you know, uh, teammates and being in the locker room and, and competing against those guys every day in practice and battling and then you know, all of a sudden getting into a game and knowing that, you know, this guy on my right side 
side here is he's going to do whatever it takes and I'm going to do whatever it takes and this guy's going to do whatever it takes and just the you know the the camaraderie in the locker room and, and training together and the bag skates you know I never thought I'd ever miss a bag skate but you know I miss going through those reps with the guys and I think that's that's the first thing. Uh, the second thing for me would would definitely be be uh, the structure, man. Like the, you know, everything is laid out in front of you. Like you, you, I think guys complain about it a lot. Like, oh yeah, okay, nine a.m. this, nine thirty this, ten fifteen this. But um, when you, I, I think you could probably uh, relate to this is when you get out and you're no longer in that structure anymore. It's a transition period, man. Like you gotta find structure for yourself instead of having people structure your life for you now you know at the tender age for me at 27 i'm all of a sudden like oh wow someone's been telling me what to do my whole life and laid everything out in front of me and how great was that and now i i gotta figure it out now i gotta <laughs> be responsible and and figure out you know okay i gotta leave at this time i you know okay i got a flight at this time so i gotta squeeze my workout in here and i gotta get to the airport you know chicago O'Hare. okay the the um the security line there is extra long, so at that airport, I got to be there two and a half hours before. Where where you played, you, you just got on the bus, and the bus went to the airport. That's the time I told you it was going, and you walk right on the plane. And so it's just a lot of structure and, and stuff like that. And I think definitely the third thing is competition, man. I, I miss competition. I miss competing against guys. Like um, you know, I, I I definitely still have some fire for that in my blood. And um, you know, when I <laughs> Yeah, I don't know if you've ever rode one of those Peloton bikes, but uh, they have those at the uh, hotel sometimes, so you get to ride those Pelotons, and you're riding against other people, and, um, so I definitely miss the, the competition part, too, so uh, just the, all, all three of those things are, are high on my list. Yeah, it's it's, you know, I miss, uh, I miss a lot of those things, too, and uh it's like it's really difficult you know i've talked to a lot of people craig uh, a lot of guys um a lot of guys are struggling um there's a you know i don't know what the support you must have had a lot of support uh from the nhl from the ahl from surrounding people and players and uh i can only imagine um but sometimes for guys that bang it out in the east coast league or the dub or the whatever uh you know cis whatever um you know they don't have have these resources or things you know to go through or maybe they are dealing with concussions or they lost some teeth like I'm missing teeth right now and stuff these things so what I'm doing uh, actually and Theron Fleury's on board Mike Hengen's on board Jesse Paradise on board my dad uh, we're starting a foundation it's called the Puck Support Foundation uh, it's gonna be uh, primarily but not limited to hockey players uh, that are either struggling with concussions addiction mental health um, any of these things uh, whether they need new teeth or they need treatment or um, you know they just you know are struggling to find their way in life and they need to connect with some hockey players or some like-minded people in their area that can take them to play golf or whatever the case may be. Uh, we're getting on board with uh, the Canadian Concussion Institute and we're going to get some mental health professionals on board. Um, so uh, that's, you know, I brought that up because uh, the, 
over the last month and a half since I started this podcast, talking to a lot of these guys uh, that didn't play in the NHL or even like yourself, uh, long lengthy careers in the American Hockey League. Uh, you know, a lot of guys are struggling with alcoholism or addiction or mental health or just struggling to find meaning and purpose in their life without hockey. Um, and uh, it's a lot more common than people could even ever believe. So that's what we're trying to do um, through the foundation. That's, that's, that's tremendous, man. I, 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 and, and this is just one thing I will add and one thing I've learned is don't be afraid to reach out to people, man. Like people, especially, you know, guys in the business and hockey, like they want to help you, you know, like people reach out to me for stuff, for interviews, for, you know, advice, new amputees. Like I, I'm eager to, to get on and, and help them. And the same for me. Like when I first got hurt, man, I, I called every single person. I got a hold of Yuri Fisher's number. I, I built a great relationship with Rich Peverly, Brett McLean. Like it's, I, I think you, you know, don't be afraid to reach out to guys, man. And, and just, you know, it's just reach out and have a conversation and, and just little things like that. People that have struggled through the same struggles that you have and, you know, have been in the same position as you. I, I think it goes a long way in being able to talk to people that have one played and, and done and lived the life that you live and two are now struggling with similar or the exact same things that you struggle with. I, I can't reiterate enough that, you know, People want to help. Do not be afraid to reach out to people and don't feel like you're bugging people because, uh, I mean, I think I speak for a lot of guys that, you know, I think a lot of people are willing to help. And at the end of the day, you know, I sleep better at night knowing that, hey, I answered this guy's phone call or, hey, this guy answered my phone call and, and we had a good conversation and, and it makes you feel good. Yeah, no, and it's it's very true, and uh, you know, and much like yourself, I've been able to build uh, some pretty solid relationships. You know, like with Brent Sopel, uh, uh, Sheldon Kennedy, uh, Theo Fleury, obviously. Um, you know, talked to Chris Nyland a couple times. Like it's just you know, so these guys again, like you talked to Rich and those guys that have went through that similar things, and these guys have gone through similar things like I've gone through. Uh, but like you said, Craig, uh, being able to talk to people that have gone through the same thing um you know especially as a hockey player to go through the same thing sometimes i feel as a hockey player you need to identify with another hockey player um i know uh for me as a kid uh, i don't know if you heard this but i had shelton kennedy on and uh, i came forth with some stuff that happened to me as a kid but i told him that being able to see um you know another hockey player go through the same thing that i went through it just made it uh uh, easier, it made it feel like it was more okay, and uh, so doing building this foundation, I feel like maybe just uh, being able to give some guys some port, like feel like they have a team again, you know, to be able to be like, hey. You know, it's Brady Leibold and Theron Fleury on the phone. Like, we got your back or whatever. You know, like that might uh, might they might not care that it's me, but you know that Theron Fleury's calling. You know, or whatever. Um, it could mean the difference between life or death in some situations, and uh, um, I know that firsthand. So, uh, what's next for Craig Cunningham? Uh, what are you up to these days? What's keeping you busy? <laughs> Well, you know what? I, I think I'm in a lot. I'm in a lot better position now. I mean, I, I'm still living in Phoenix. Uh, the weather's beautiful this time of year, man. The pool's great. Um, I got a home gym that I'm able to use. So I, I've been hunkering down at home, following the, the quarantine, and, and uh, you know, working out every day, watching movies, Netflix, staying up to date. Um, 
I, uh, I I left uh, my job there in Arizona a few months ago, so I am uh, just kind of staying up to date and, and trying to get better at, at, at scouting and and, uh, and and just learning the business side of the game. You know, phoning people and talking to people and, and hearing different. You know, it's again like you know you reach out to people and people want to help, man. It's it's something that I, I strongly believe in. So just making lots of phone calls, trying to learn. You know, trying to trying to find a passion I guess and, and, and try and be the best at what you can do so um, you know I, I want to stay in the business um, I, I love the game the game's given me everything that I have today um, other than the foundation I built at home with my family uh, the game's given me everything I have and I've got tremendous respect for it um, in all different categories and I am just trying to to learn the business side and figure out you know where what's the best fit um, I know that I want to be in hockey. I, I, I love hockey, and it's, I've got a great passion for it. So there's just so many different roles. You're just trying to kind of find out where you fit. So I, I'm in limbo. Um, obviously, with COVID going down here, um, searching for jobs is not the, the easiest thing, but um, just trying to make calls and connect with people and, and see if, uh, you know, what kind of uh, dirt I can dig up and, and try and you know, land myself a, a gig that I that I'd be happy with. Well, that's awesome, Craig. I, I really wish you all the best with that. Uh, you know, you have a bright you know your bright future. You have a great mind for hockey. You're a great guy. Uh, you have just a tremendous amount of respect from everybody. And that's you know, and that was before uh, you had the accident. You know, you were captain of pretty much every team you played on. Everybody loves you. You're a fan favorite everywhere you played. Uh, there was a in the newspaper that Don Hay uh, said that the f- when they traded you from Vancouver, all the fans pretty much thought they were giving up the season. <laughs> they were so choked when they traded away their fucking pride and joy. You know what I mean? So, um, you know... Uh, you know, it's very unfortunate, Craig, that, you know, you had to go through what you went through. But, you know, I appreciate you taking the time to do this and sharing your strength, uh, your courage, uh, your bravery to go through what you went through. Um, you, you know, man, I truly believe that great things are going to happen for you. Uh, and if it's in the game, if you, you want those things to be in the game of hockey, then that it's going to be in the game of hockey because, uh, you know, you have that work ethic and uh, you, you know that uh, you're going to open some bit, huge doors for yourself. Uh, you'll probably end up with a Stanley Cup ring one day. I can imagine it already. So, um, anyways, buddy. Uh, uh, that's, that's the dream, right? That's the dream. <laughs> yeah, well, we all have that dream, and uh, both of us never got to raise it over our heads as players, but who knows? Maybe one day as personnel. Um, definitely, I could see you doing that way before me. Um, but, uh, listen, thank you so much uh, for for taking the time to be on the podcast, uh, sharing your story. Um, I wish you all the best. Uh, I'd love to catch up with you down the road once hockey starts again to see what you're doing. Uh, maybe you can give us a little insight with what's going on in hockey and uh, and let us know what's going on uh, once the NHL starts back up. It sounds good, man. Take care, and uh, really glad that uh, that things are turning around for you, and, and you're making the best of uh, of the, your situation. So uh, really good to see. I appreciate that, Connor. And uh, tell your mother I said hello. I will do. See you, bud. All right, buddy. Ciao. That's Craig Cunningham. What a conversation. Uh, I have just the biggest smile on my face. What an incredible human being. Uh, 
that is a guy that you know I would truly like to build a friendship with. Um, what a class act, uh, man! Just uh, unbelievable story, guys. Uh, I'm gonna post a link. Uh, Life or limb, check it out. Uh, Craig Cunningham, a true, true, true living and breathing miracle and inspiration uh, just a tremendous human being uh, and what a great hockey player he was I hated playing against him because he just worked so damn hard uh, I wish I had his work ethic <laughs> uh, but listen guys I think I have that work ethic now I'm really enjoying doing this podcast I, li- I really uh, appreciate you guys listening if you have any advice for me Please find me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at Hockey to Heroin. Let me know what you think. Please, wherever you're listening to this, subscribe, follow, like, share with your friends. If this is the first time you listened and you didn't like it, don't share it. Don't ever listen again. Um, I'm sorry that I wasted your time. But if you did like it, please share it with your friends. Uh, But again, I'd like to hear uh, what you guys think, uh, what you think of the progress. Uh, If you've been listening since the first episode, uh, have I improved? Have I gotten worse? Am I repeating myself a lot? Um, Let me know, guys. Let me know. Uh, Once again, I want to thank Craig Cunningham, guys. Uh, What a great person. Thanks, Craig. really really appreciate that truly uh please guys head over to www.hockeytoheroin.com uh take a look around uh there's links to the hockey podcast network there's links to team issued uh there's uh matthew lashinsky studio page uh you can read a little bit about him about his family about his story guys uh there's also of course the contest form for team issued limited we're doing that contest this week guys so get on there uh we're gonna give away some amazing prizes thanks so much for listening the next episode will be available saturday morning with former nhl enforcer ryan vandenbush looking forward to doing that one thanks guys and take care and remember have a great day if you so choose